You know, I'd be lying if I said no one ever told me to clean up my act. Well, that's what's happening here in the hydrocarbon business. So today we hear about new ways to bring down that carbon footprint and make those fracking operations cleaner, safer, and smarter. An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of Nutanix or any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. Hey everybody, welcome back to another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Tech. Today, we got some really great stuff to talk about. Today, we're going to talk about some new innovation related to completion technology and fracking and doing good stuff in the world related to all that. But first, before I get to the guests, remind everybody that we need reviews. Please leave us some reviews because... That's how we know if you like what we're doing. And if you don't like it, then leave a bad review and say what we need to be doing different. And that's how we get better. But if you do like it, leave us a good review so that other people will know that this is worth listening to. Also want to uh, give a, a quick shout out to our sponsor, Cognite. We'll say a little bit more about them toward the end. And one last little thing here before we get to our guest. And I think this is a this will be this will be sort of an interesting contrast to what we're going to be what we're going to be talking about today. But some of you might have heard me on a previous episode. I was talking about how it's it's sometimes it's fun. We're always talking about the latest technology, and sometimes it's fun to go back and look at what were things like in history. And I mentioned a book that I had found an excerpt from called "Voices from the Oil Fields." I feel like I need like a little sound bite on that, you know, like "Voices from the Oil Fields." And it's a collect. So I found the book. I got it. You can buy it on Amazon. And it's a collection of interviews with people from, you know, the 30s and 40s and the days, early days of oil and gas. So I picked out this one little snippet today. This is in the chapter called The Sputter Man. And it's from a 1939 interview with some wildcatters in Oklahoma. Of course, their names are Curly and Ed. And they're talking about their portable cable rig, which they call Old Betsy. This is real. This is a real interview. And in the interview with Curly, he's talking about his big plans that he has. And this is an interesting contrast to, I think, what we're going to be talking about here today. But but here's what he says. And this is written in the original Texas, Oklahoma English. But he says, he says, you see, I figure it this away. This new big gusher is making 100 barrels an hour and holding up at it from only one foot of sand must be on a crevice drawing oil from a hell of a big pool somewhere. Well, I figure the gusher's on a high right at the edge of that Anadarko Basin where the Wilcox sand is 13,000 feet deep. Some kind of pressure, maybe water pressure, is pushing that oil up from the basin to a pimple along its edge. That's what makes our stuff look good. Why ain't we on the edge of that basin, too, a mile and a half due west on a beeline? Of course, only the bit can tell the tale. So with that, we'll go to our guest, who is Mr. Graham Horn from the company we all know as Technip FMC, and he's in Singapore. And so, Graham, this is how it worked, right? This was the way the business worked, and it's a little bit different today. But welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming in all the way from the other side of the earth. Thank you very much, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you. I need to remind our audience that we are 
<laughs> Graham and I are on opposite ends of the earth and we're talking online and we're going to do the best we can to make this glitch free and sound like a natural conversation. But Graham, why don't you just first tell us a little bit about like who you are. And I know that you, we talked a little bit ahead of time and, and it, you've been with the company for a really long time since before I was born, I think. And so tell us just a little bit about what, who are you and what are you doing there? Okay, certainly. You're making me sound like I'm one of these voices from the oil field. <laughs> That's right. There's a chapter in here on you right here. It's on page 96, Graham, Graham, 19, 1942. I don't feel quite that old. Okay. <laughs> so I joined the company straight out of school, Harriet Watt University. I joined it in 1988, joined in Scotland, and I've been with the company ever since. I've held a whole multitude of roles from design engineer through to general manager of our international business. And I'm currently the uh, senior vice president for product management for the Surface organization as part of Technip FMC. Excellent. Okay, thank you. And so, so we're going to talk about some new stuff that you guys are doing. And our little interview with Curly ended with him saying, "Only the bit can tell the tale." And I thought that was kind of interesting. That was all they had in those days was the bit to tell the tale. But today, we've got technology that can tell us all kinds of things and help us do things better. And I think. You know, this is what this is what you guys are trying to do, not just to come out with a new product, but to try to to make the industry better. Before we get to that, let's you're focused on the on the fracking industry, on the unconventionals. Let's just what you know, fracking is in the spotlight these days for better, for worse. But it's it's had a tough image to fight. You're in the middle of it. Why is that? Why do we have such a tough time with this whole whole fracking issue today? Well, I think there's a there's a number of things that. I've given fracking a tough time. Obviously, what we're doing here is, is is challenging. We're pumping a lot of sand and water down into the ground at high pressures to to break the rock. So in order to do that, we need a lot of energy. So it's pumping a lot of energy into the ground, in fact, to, to release the oil and gas that's, that's down there, which is a little bit counterintuitive in this world today. We've struggled to do that in a manner, or we over the years we've been working at improving how we do that, but the truth be told, there's there's still a lot of improvements for us to drive in that in that direction in order to to make the business cleaner. Right, right. Well, I know that it's been in the kind of in the spotlight here in the last. I guess what has it been? Ten years? Has it been fifteen years? Something like that. But we knew how to do this decades ago, right? I mean, I think you know, way back even in the seventies, we knew how to do this, but it wasn't really being done. Because why? Because it wasn't it wasn't feasible. It wasn't economically feasible. It wasn't engineering feasible. Why? What happened that made it at least begin to work? Well, in fact, we do this in almost every oil and gas well today. It's just that we've started to focus on a different geology structure, which is a lot more you know shale structure, which is a lot harder to crack. So it requires a different level of technology in order to be able to get that rock to give us the product we want. So. It's really the change here that we're seeing in the last few years is moving from fracking on a scale, which is a small scale in order to make the reservoirs perform well, into a large industrial scale in order to be able to access the shale the right way in order to be able to get that rock to provide it. So it's moved right, on to industrial right. scale. And, and all the technology has been about driving us to that industrial revolution, if you want, in the frack world. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So, And then, of course, here sometime in the last... 
10 or 15 years, we figured out how to do it really well. And But as you said, there's still a lot of things that we are, we still need to improve. And we've been improving. There's new things that we can do to make it to make it smarter, faster, cleaner. And that is, and when, when we chatted earlier, you mentioned that you, you kind of have a mission in the industry right now, you know, sort of for the greater good. And, it, you know, so beyond kind of the various products and services, what, so talk a little bit about how are you trying to help the, the industry now going forward with these initiatives? Absolutely. So it's clear that for us to continue down this industry to be successful, we have to do things differently. Our, you know, regulations demand that, but more importantly, our own consciences are demanding that in the world we're living in today. We, we start to recognize the impact we're having on the world. We, we have to take some bold steps to, to do some things differently here. It can be primarily about safety, making sure that we get people away from places where they can get hurt. So keeping them out of is a good thing. That absolutely helps us. It can be about doing things faster, more efficiently, more effectively, so that we can continue the, the direction we've been going and industrializing the processes we're using and really making oil and gas competitive in the marketplace and, and, and effective going forward. And it can also be about trying to do this in a, in a different way to make it cleaner. So trying to use the energy differently, apply the energy differently that's used in, in the industry and using alternative means to, to, to find things in, in order to reduce our, our carbon footprint of the industry. I think those are very important things. But underlying through all of that, what's going to help us get there is having the right data in order to be able to control the products out in the field the right way and make sure that we're, we're doing the right things at the right times. And that, that's a big challenge for us all because there's a lot of data there. But the problem is a lot of that data isn't really compatible and doesn't really talk to itself, doesn't really talk to each other. And it's very difficult for an oil and gas company to put all that together the right way. Right. right. So there's a lot of that going on, you know, around. I mean, this mission that you have, the good news is there's a lot of companies, operators, service companies who are all really coming to the table with some of those same objectives in mind in terms of it making things safer, making things cleaner, improving, you know, just improving all the things that you mentioned. Everybody, a lot of episodes, and especially the data thing. We do a lot of episodes on this show where people are talking about data these days and all the different things that we're trying to do with it. And in a lot of cases, it's not new data. It's data that's been generated for a long time, but but we just have to be able to do so many new, better things. And and everybody's kind of coming at it with their various parts and solutions and w- new innovations and things. And so you have some new innovation that's contributing to this too. So let's let's talk about that. You've got a recently launched product called iComplete. And let's talk about what, what exactly is that? What is iComplete and what's it doing for the industry? So I mean, iComplete is a, is a way to look at fracking and the pressure control across the frack pad in a completely different way. It's about doing this faster, safer, smarter. It starts with the pump. From the pump, you come into your, we used to traditionally go through a bunch of flow iron into a complicated manifold loops, sometimes called a missile, and then take that down and eventually get through another sort of complicated iron into the tree. Lots of connections, very difficult. Looks very messy. I'm sure everyone's seen the pictures of that. It looks very messy out there. So what we've done is said, okay, let's try and 
illuminate a bunch of connections. So let's try and do things differently to make that simpler and take off and you know, simplify the process through there. So we focused very much on taking the products and trying to eliminate products, eliminate connections, make things work better in that sense. Also focused on reliability of the product, because as we go forward, if the product's not reliable, if it's forcing you to stop your operations for whatever reason, that's a problem. That's going to get in the way of us doing things faster, safer, smarter. That's going to force people into the red zone where we don't want them, put them at risk. And it's going to stop your operations, which is never good, and potentially also have leaks into, into the environment. So we don't want that at all. So a big focus around that. So we take it all the way through the manifolding, through products that are really designed specifically for frack, rather than products that are being adapted for frack, and taking that from pump to tree in a, in a safe manner. Gotcha, gotcha. So now are any... <laughs> Do you have any any nicknames for any of these parts and pieces like Old Betsy? Because I think we need to bring that back into the industry. We need to have things that that have that have those kinds of names. We don't really have an Old Betsy, but we do have something we're calling Cyberfrack, which is kind of quirky. And okay, old. okay, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, Cyberfrack. Two words that back in the days of Curly in 1939, they would not have used the word cyber or frack, but that's a, that's a cool, that's a cool name. So that's a good overview of iComplete. Maybe for people who are listening to this and aren't, you know, really tuned into this world as much or aren't involved, right, with, with these types of operations, like who would use iComplete? Like, like if I'm out there, I'm out there, I'm working on a frack pad, and my boss comes out and says, good news, we just got iComplete from Technip FMC. What changes in my world? Okay, so what, what what's really going to change here is it's a decision you've taken as an oil and gas company that you want to do things in a different way, that you want to get continuity in your fracking process and you're really focused on trying to have as much uptime out there on, on, the, on the frack pad as you possibly can, which for us means that we want to have automation on the pad. It's, it's the path towards automation on the pad. And automation is important because that allows us to take the human element out of this and the human interaction out of this. Just now we're doing that through still being able to have some confirmation, but eventually the idea is that you can hook the, hook the pad up from A to Z or from pump to tree, push the button, and the pad will actually start to operate without us having to intervene and take all the right decisions as it goes forward. That's fantastic. So, yeah, auto, I mean, automation is another big focus with, you know, so many people are talking about new ways to use the data and what do we want to do? We want to drive automation. We want to drive remote operations and, and we want to, as you said, make things safer for the humans that are out there. So how would I introduce this to my operations? Like, do you ship it to me in a box and I unpack it and, <laughs> and it starts doing its thing? Or what's the implementation like? How does somebody go from being doing things the old way, which is very painful and dangerous, and, and you know, to doing things the new th- way? What does that transition look like? Let's well, go take a little bit of point front in order to make sure everybody understands the role they're playing and what they're trying to achieve and how we're going to go about that. But basically, it's not too different from what you said. We're kind of opening up the box. We're taking out the new components. We're putting them together in the field for you coming along with your your pressure pumping company and you're ready to go and we start pressure pumping, we're working to a program. There's a predefined 
program that the oil company already knows how it wants to go about the frack. And as long as we've got that planned together, we can start to lay that out looking into the future as to what the different steps can be. If we know what those different steps can be, we can start to plan joining those steps together. Now, of course, that, that works great until you hit some sort of road bump on the way and something happens which isn't expected and now your your trajectory is changed. Well, what we need to do is have the system smart enough to be able to have some of that pre-programmed. Some of those things are recurring. We see them regularly. So that's that's plan those in there. Other ones we're going to learn as we go along and be able to, you know, to, to improve the system as we go. And there's as long as we're providing the input back up to the, the the guys and girls out there on the frag pad to say, hey, stop. There's a problem here. Something's something's unusual. You need to intervene now. You need to tell us what's the next step to take, rather than providing them a whole bunch of data from different sources, which is they then got to interpret. Let's give them something easy to understand to say, there's a problem. Here's some of the actions we recommend. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, sure. So there's a little bit of change. You still have people out there who need to understand the operation, right? But you're giving them different tools to do that work with. If I'm leading this type of initiative, what about the organizational change? Like, How do you sort of reorient the people in the field to working in a different way? Okay, so... You're right. I think it's unrealistic to imagine we'll have frack pads operating out there, out there by themselves with nobody next to them. I think that would be unrealistic. And, and quite frankly, none of us would be very comfortable with that. But said, there's nothing preventing us intervening from a distance, and having our expertise sitting, watching over multiple frack pads from a central office, and just having a few caretakers, smart caretakers, but caretakers out there able to make sure that the Things are running the way we want them to run. If you think about it today, there's 40, 50 people surrounding a frack pad, depending how big the pad is and who the company is and who the operators are. And a lot of those people are running around making sure that pumps have got diesel and the sand and and the water is getting there. And when there's something goes wrong, we make you go in there and fix the connection that's not working the way we expect it to work or the wireline intervention. There's a lot of extra effort around that. So there's a lot of pure intervention services. If we can minimize those, then I think we're going in the right direction and have more people out there being able to be on standby in case something happens, but also monitoring and making sure that things are going to plan and then tie back into a central office where they can continue to watch that as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's always... Nobody that likes to spend their whole life firefighting, right? And so, I don't know, maybe, actually, I, I take that back. I know some people who do like to spend their life firefighting. But for the most part, the more that we can do that's predictable and that's regular and planned. In fact, that gets to another sort of aspect of this, which is something else that people talk about a lot these days, you know, related to these technologies is, is not just responding to things that aren't going to plan, but being able to kind of see in advance and predict what's going to happen and and either plan for those things, take care of things in advance. Does that factor into the vision at all here to be able to kind of look ahead and not just be react? Absolutely. We've got all kinds of tools available to us today where we can start to run analytics. And in time, we can use those analytics to predict what needs to happen and what's going to happen the right way. So, you know, machine learning can take us a long way down that path, but we can't 
jump to that. We've got to walk through the, the different steps to get ourselves there the right way. We've got to really understand, first of all, the fundamentals, make sure the fundamentals run in the way we expect them to run, build up the experience and knowledge of the different products and the different processes so that we can really start to predict things in the future the right way and anticipate and take action before things become a problem. That's really what it's about. Sure. I mean, that's a whole, I mean, that comes back to the data, right? And being able to, I mean, we, we hear about people who say that they have data, you know, like fleets of data scientists who are trying to put together the right algorithms to do those kinds of things, but they spend most of their time just, you know, organizing, you know, finding, organizing, cleaning up and structuring the data so that you can actually do these predictive analytics that you want to do. So what's your experience been with the ability so far in, in, the, in the FRAC environments with the ability to harness the data for those purposes? Are we, can we do it? Are we, do we have work to do there? What's, what's our maturity level when it comes to these operations? I think a lot of this is about getting the right people doing the right things. The oil and gas companies really don't want to be integrators of systems. They want people to come along with systems that are easy to interpret, providing them useful data at the right time. And whether that's frack or any other aspect of oil and gas, I think that's true. What we're looking at doing is trying to really find a way to help them with that and to provide the data in a visual format, something that's easy for them to look at and understand and actually help them make the decisions that need to be made. Yep, yep. I mean, that's the key, right, is a lot of people have found that the hard part with all a lot of this, these analytics and things, so, well, the, there's the data problem, right? That's one part. But then the next thing is we can run all these fancy algorithms and machine learning and deep learning and all that we can perform all those operations on the data and we can unveil some like remarkable insights and things. But now, but we have to really get that, the, the output of that analysis into like in front of the eyes or into the hands of people like, like humans who can see it understand it and then take the appropriate action or we need to be able to get it back out to some sort of a device or some sort of a drone or something that knows what to do about it so that that distribution channel into the operation is is a lot of people are finding that's that's a big that's not it's not an easy hurdle to clear so what's your insights or guidance on on kind of achieving that type of efficiency so i mean i'm the first to agree i'm not the most technical savvy person out there <laughs> In fact, I tell my guys that when we prefix these discussions and are trying to explain all these wonderful things they can do, say, you got to keep this in simple terms because I'm the guy who can't connect his printer to his computer. Right. Yeah. And just a little, just to join on that, I'm somebody who also still uses a printer on occasion. So I know that's not, that's not, <laughs> not, not the norm, but I still like to print stuff out and look at it. And there are people like that out in the industry who, you know, their job is to know how to be like curly and know that there's like some water that's like pushing it up to the, or whatever the thing is. Right. And you have to make it easy for people to interact with this information. They can't be busy trying to figure out how to work the app, right. Or how to access the system or how to pull down the thing that they, right. So how are you doing that for folks? Yeah. So I think the, the secret here is to get things as graphic as we can and, and into formats that are easy to understand. People can, are used to looking at, we have a lot of, data coming at us, which is which is hard to interpret today and hard to join together. If we can put those things into dashboards that become simple, simple graphs that people can read the right way and 
have their input as to what they want that data to look like, I think that's a great path forward for us all. But you don't just want to have the data from our little beach. You want to have all the data that's associated with the operations you're doing from the different companies tagged together the right way. And I think that's also something we need to consider as an industry. How are we going to manage that? How are we going to you know, deal with that problem so that the oil and gas company has everything together in one simple package, providing them the information they want? And they need. So every, and you said that it was sounded so simple when you said that. And it's one of those things that's easy to say, not really for the faint of heart to try to get everything in one place and make it easy and simple and dashboards. Are, are you having success? Is that still kind of a pipe dream out there? Or are you seeing, you know, finding that you're able to actually like do that for people these days? No, I think we're having some good success. We're starting to really join the dots on different pieces of equipment, getting the signature from the, the equipment back in a way which is easy to understand. We have a software that we call UCOS. It's an open architecture. It can take data readings from all sorts of different places and pull those things together. And then we have something called InsightX, which is a way that we can publish that up onto the cloud and make it visible to people you know, beyond the, the traditional SCADA system and the control room. And I think that's that's proven very, very helpful. But we said, well, we don't need to just be able to see what's going on. We actually need to be able to control what's going on. So it's, it's fine to be able to see it, but you need to control it. So that's something else we build into this software so that we're able to control things at a distance and direct from your iPad sitting in your living room. If you've got the right authorization, you can control what's happening. It's mind-blowing, right? And in fact, I have to make a confession. I did recently see a, a demo of Insight X and it was amazing to think that you know that you can do those things you can see those things and do those things without having to actually be on site with the equipment or at least be on site with you know with the computers that have traditionally been connected to these control systems but as you said you're in your living room on your iPad and from what I saw, it seems like, and, and a lot of people are are pushing in this direction for lots of other things, for subsea, right, for refining and chemical processing, to be able to not be right there in the middle of it and to see it from anywhere and also to collaborate with other people. I think we see this in Seismic as well, where, you know, somebody's looking at something and they want to show it to a colleague who is, you know, somewhere else in another place. It's remarkable to be able to do that kind of stuff and to make it you know, that easy for people. Yeah, this isn't actually something new. We've had this technology for a little time, several years, and we've been using it in different applications in different parts of the world and some of the more remote parts of the world where it's harder for people to get access to and harder for people to get good data from. And it's been working really well for us. What's changed is all of the world's got difficult to access in the last 12 months. People are desperate for information and they want it in a way that's easy to understand and they don't have their <laughs> they don't have their, their buddies around them who can help them uh, set that up. So it's all got to be done in a way which is, you know, simple. Yeah, yeah. So it's great stuff. I think it's fantastic that we're m making these improvements, particularly for unconventionals in the fracking industry. They need it. You know, they're they're out there. It's amazing what that corner of the industry has achieved in the last decade, but they still need, they need a lot of help and they need to be able to, to be doing their own, their part as well for all of these 
greater good things that we talked about. And so I want to circle back to that and kind of close the loop because up front, we, we talked about all these lofty things about, about helping the industry to reduce carbon footprint and, and clean things up and make things safer. I think we heard a little bit about, it's clear that you're getting people out of the red zones and, or or giving, allowing people to do things from different places, making things safer. How does all of this, when you tie this all together, how does it help with that whole, you know, clean up things, reduce carbon footprint. How's it going to drive that for the fracking industry? Well, I think the fracking industry's got a lot of challenge and how we clean it up. A lot of this is about using the right energy, being able to have the right products in place in order to allow us to deliver things and, and starting to redesign the the pads of the future so that they are running differently. Instead of having, we've already seen some of this, right? Instead of having fleets of diesel engines driving pumps. Now we're starting to look at turbines and electric pumps and some different things out there. These are all the right steps to take us forward. There's a lot of work to continue to do to refine in that space for fracking in order to allow us to do things better. But a lot of this, in fact, is about improving the reliability of the equipment that's there in order to make it possible to automate the equipment the right way. If, you know, and we, we're asking a lot of that equipment. We've got to remember this. It's a very, very challenging thing we're asking that equipment to do. And it's all of it pushed to the limits today. We see more success, if you want, in that space when you look at other areas further further downstream. So you look at flowback and you start to look at trying to manage that process. And then it really turns into an early production. If you've got the right data and the right infrastructure and the right equipment there, then we're able to significantly reduce the amount of gas that's going to the flare stacks. And that's that's the kind of thing we need to be thinking about as an industry. Likewise, in something we call iProduction, a different product, we're really focused on, you know, minimizing the amount of product that has to do any any settlement or refinement in the tanks. So the product's uh, just going in the tanks only for storage purposes, and it's not continuing to settle out in those tanks. So really thinking about those things the right way can make a huge difference to how the industry will perform. And, and ultimately, we need to deliver that the right way. Yeah, that's all key. And those are the things that we need. It's great to see that companies, you know, and it's not, it's great to see that it's not just the new startup companies, right, that are having a great idea and trying to go out there. And and I mean, and it's great that we have those and I have those, those guys come on the show. And, but a lot of times they don't have the depth in the industry and they have to sort of learn as they go. But like I said, they have, they have fantastic ideas. And there's kind of this, sometimes there's this perception that the big companies, the old companies, right, that they don't really innovate. And clearly that that's not true. And it's good to see companies like Technique FMC, you have a history in things that, in a lot of other things, right? And you're kind of, and you're turning and, and focusing on this, this technology innovation to improve the industry. And it's great to see that sort of thing. No, I mean, we've had a solid history in technology. I don't think there's any question of that. We did a huge amount to bring the subsea industry to where it is today, as, as, as everybody knows, turning our attention to improving and cleaning up the industry, making industry better. It's just a kind of natural progression for us and it's something right, we right. need to embrace. And, and you're entirely right. There's a lot of great companies out there with great ideas, but they don't have the necessarily the reach or the capability to take that at the speed we need into the industry. So I think we've got a, a duty to help make those things happen the right way. And 
And one of the things that really works for this is when you start to integrate a whole bunch of products and services into a, a larger service where you can really leverage the benefits. And that, that's a big focus of ours is trying to really look at the bigger picture rather than each small individual piece, trying to look at how you join all those pieces together in a seamless manner. And I think that's really where, where you start to see it. And, and, and the data component of that really is enabled by having all those different things joined up in a, in a single seamless system and an ecosystem of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you mentioned a couple of things there earlier. You mentioned one of the products being built on an open architecture. You just mentioned ecosystem. This is another trend in the industry, right? Is that people are starting to be more open to being open and integrating. We had an episode just recently about the open subsurface data universe, which is, you know, which everybody's participating in now, but was sort of a revolutionary idea in the past. And so this notion that of toward openness and integration ecosystem, these are words that we're hearing now. And I think that especially for companies like yours who are creating sort of the large heavy duty foundations to support and improve these operations, it does give operators the ability then to go ahead and also leverage other innovations and get things connected together and get everything working all as opposed to, you know, what we've always seen is the silos and the, all the different pieces broken apart. And, and I can't use that technology because I'm already using this one over here and they're not compatible. And like all of that is, you know, we're working to kind of level all that out and, and enable people to take advantage of all the great innovation that, that different people are coming up with. At least hopefully that, <laughs> tell me if I'm wrong about that, but that's, that seems like it's sort of on everybody's mind. No, I think you're absolutely correct. This is a little bit of a revolution in the industry. We're typically fairly conservative in the oil and gas industry, and we don't really like change. And we've been very careful to protect the data that we have because, you know, that's part of our commercial advantage. But I think there's areas that make sense and people are going to continue to work that way. There's other areas that we're talking about now that we do need to share very openly and how we can make things better because it's for the good of the whole industry. So we start talking about uh, leak integrity or how we can improve process, how we can reduce the carbon footprint, the greenhouse gases. Those are things that we have to be open and sharing in a similar way that we went through that revolution maybe 25 years ago around safety. And I think you know, we need to think about it the same way. The duty of us as an industry and our whole, maybe the industry's survival depends on people actually sharing that kind of information the right way in an open manner in order to make the industry better. And I think that's, you know, I think we've got an opportunity to to really behave differently in the space. Yeah, I like to relate it back to the safety. I think that's that's a place where the industry has been tremendously successful and really done a great job. And I think if we could take the same attitude and apply that now to the environment, that's going to help us all. You're absolutely right. And I think it's great to hear you know, more and more people like you who are who are saying things like what you just said is a great sign, you know, even leaving fracking out of it, our industry in general, you know, we have some, some people in the world who don't have, who don't, who aren't of the mind that, that we're really trying to do all those things. And so, so if we can, the more we can talk about it, the more we can do it, the more success we can have, then we're showing the world that that is our kind of our hearts and minds are in there and we and we can be successful. I'm checking the time here and this is, this is a great topic. I feel like we could talk for a while, but we're kind of get at that point where if we keep talking, people will probably stop listening. So 
we need to wrap up. But for people who want to know more about what you're doing, more about iComplete or more about or more about you, where can they look? Where can they go to learn more? You go direct to the Technip FMC websites. You can get connections through that. You can get connections through LinkedIn, any of the social media pages. We're all available through there. So you know everything you want to know about Technip FMC is out there. We're very available. I'm very happy to be connected. If people just indicate they want to talk to me through those channels, I'll, I'll make myself available as well. No problem at all. Excellent. Great. And as always, we will put links to all of that stuff that you just said in the show notes so people can can connect to those things and we'll include anything else maybe about special events or things that are coming up that you might want people to know about. That's going to do it though for today. And Graham, thanks very much for being on it for it. So it's what, it's, is it 9 a.m. for you now? Something like that? in the morning. Yep. 9am for me. So it's my day's beginning as yours is coming to an end. I should have left a little bit of time to ask you to tell us, you know, what tomorrow is like, since you're already, already there. It'd be, if you could give us a little predictive analytics for what we can expect from Tuesday, because I'm still on Monday, but very good. So let's wrap up. Graham, thank you. And just a couple of more comments here to close out. I want to mention Cognite, our sponsor. Really appreciate them paying the bills and keeping the lights on and making this possible. Cognite is also out there doing things to make the industry better with industrial data. We all know there's lots of problems to be solved with data. They're doing some great things with contextual, intuitive, industrial data that making it, you know, so that we can use it in applications and humans and everybody can can get value from that. Also, I need to mention our street team, the OGGN street team, which is led by the noble and fearless Warren Spiewak. They have a LinkedIn group that you can check out. And I think they're not really on the streets right now they're really but they do they are doing some virtual stuff that's fantastic it's a great way to get involved if you just want to do something more in the industry get involved with oggn also you can connect with us on our brand new just launched oggn.com website which was uh, beautifully designed by our friends at midnight marketing they did a fantastic job i know they made me look a lot better than i do in real life so take a look at that and also we have a linkedin group there's all kinds of stuff for OGGN on LinkedIn. Just search OGGN. You'll find a bunch of stuff. And that is it for today. One final thought, and I've been commenting on this a couple of times here if you've been listening, but this is what I'm now saying to all of my friends who make those jokes about oil and gas industry being a little behind the times when it comes to adopting new technology. And as Graham mentioned, we've been doing technology for a really long time. And I think even if you look at Curly and Ed in that opening interview, I mean, that was a technology of sorts going on back then. So so when your friends make those jokes, just tell them that we were tech before tech was cool. And here are the events on deck. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN. And here are the events on deck for December 2020. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two OGGN live streams, and on the third, we have Moving Up in a Downturn, and on the eighth, we have Quality Management in a Down Economy. The only in-person event we have this month is the API and SPE Houston Chapter Luncheon about the rebuilding of the American oil field, which will be at the Petroleum Club on the 8th. 
Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for December, and I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.